Hello, this is season three of the Fan Experience Experience with Darren Young, Mark Bradley, and a special guest. Well, hello and welcome to season three of the Fan Experience Experience, a fan experience podcast that you must have missed now because it's been months since we last spoke to you all. And I'm here with Darren. Hi, Darren. Hi, you all right? I'm very well. For those who don't know us, it's Mark Bradley here from the Fan Experience Company and also from the Fan Experience Company, we've got Darren. Hi, Darren. How are you today? Um, yeah, I'm, you can probably hear me. I'm all, I'm all bunged up today. So, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to battle through that regardless. Yeah, we did say that you sounded a little bit like Bonnie Tyler. So you know, a little bit, but yeah, but more when I sing. So if I do any singing later, then 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 you can you can make that decision. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, when I talk, it just sounds like I like you can't understand a word I say. But I hope that you can hear you can hear me clearly. I can hear you well now out there trying to figure out your Bonnie Tyler song titles to see if we can put in any of them. But uh, what can you do with the total eclipse of the heart and the fan experience? It's 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 absolutely yeah. Well, yeah, well I'm going to look for some while whilst you're talking. I'm going to look for some more titles. Well, we had a busy November, didn't we? Um, well, well, we definitely did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, but a very busy year, full stop, but November was ridiculously busy. Well, those of you um, interested in what we do for, um, well, 18 years now, we've been helping sport to increase attendances by improving experiences. And, and the way we do that is look at things through the fans' eyes, uh, from the fans' perspective, because obviously, quite obviously, when you provide clubs with... Um, with research and feedback and reports on what it's like to be a fan, um, that helps them identify ways in which they can improve. But I think the way we do it, where we effectively tell the story in the fans' words or the assessor's words, um, has much more of an emotional heft to it. And um, I think that's important when you're trying to get senior people on board. So that's what we do. And in November 2022, our work um, took us to the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, uh, which is a very interesting experience, especially crossing the road, Darren. Can you remember? Oh, well, it's hard to forget. Um, you know, we were there. We were there that long. That um, I think I'll always remember. Remember try, trying to cross that road. We should. We should point out that we never actually managed to cross the road. Um, but it was a, an aspiration of ours at one point. It's kind of a. It's almost like a metaphor for being a football fan, isn't it? That hope. You know, all we try to do is to get across a, a dual carriageway in, in Doha to get to a a coffee shop that we could see in a shopping mall uh, only 200 yards away. But it re- it remained a mirage for us the afternoon because they're not really designed to let people cross there. Everybody everybody drives a car everywhere. Even if it's even if it's like 20 yards, they drive yeah, a car. Yeah, well, we spent 30 minutes just waiting to cross the first half of the dual carriageway and we were 15 minutes on the middle of the dual carriageway when a, a, a fellow wearing a Coventry City shirt crossed yeah. the way and from, from his demeanour, it was clear that it was probably best if we just waited another 15 minutes and went back whence we came. So that was <laughs> so just a real moment to to be standing in the middle of a dual carriage. Well, on the on the halfway point of crossing a road in in the Middle East and, and a Coventry fan walking past and, and just by just his luck telling us all we needed to know. There's something quite quite surreal about that. But and and, and of course in in amongst the, the football of what was a unique um, World Cup um, finals um, event um, by by any measure. Um, one of the things that you know ostensibly was going to have a negative effect on the tournament, and that was the 
decision not to provide fans routinely with alcohol in stadiums other than in hospitality areas at the very last minute, uh, when you combine that fact, so there was no alcohol around, with the fact that you have the whole tournament in one city meant that on any one of the three metro lines, you might find a carriage where there's no alcohol, but something like 15 or 16 different countries represented. And that actually made for some some fantastic experiences. You know, I can still remember them now. But we were there to look at the fan experience, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was, I mean, I guess that's that's a huge part of the experience. But it was, I mean, I'd been to to other tournaments and it was nothing like that. I mean, that was just something totally unique to be on to be on a public transport where there is literally, like you say, fifteen or sixteen different countries all represented and none of them drunk was quite incredible because the the the, the friendliness and the sort of camaraderie between football fans was just. Um, it was just something else, really. It was, a, it was a real, apart from the trying to cross that road, it was the real memory of the World Cup. Actually, I think more than the games in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, not to take anything away from the games, because obviously they were, you know, there's some great stadiums and 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 we, we, we came across so many really good things. But actually seeing fans together in that sort of environment was just, and, and I guess it won't happen again as well, you know. Yeah, and I'm not saying for one minute that just because there's alcohol necessarily means that there's a riot going to be going on. But I think it, it it did actually it did facilitate something that I hadn't you know come across before and, and, and will always remember. So it was just so, more of a, it was more it was strange because there wasn't actually that many children around, but there was a more family atmosphere, if that makes sense. In in that people were a lot more respectful of everything. So there wasn't, you know, I didn't hear a great deal of swearing, if any. I'm not sure I heard any swearing actually. And I don't think it was necessarily because people were either had they hadn't had anything to drink or because you know it wasn't necessarily anything to do with that. I think it was just the whole way that the tournament sort of came together. It just made people, you know, sort of behave differently. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting. So, of course, today we're launching the third season of the Fan Experience Experience, you know, our podcast that looks at the fan experience and, and asks questions of clubs, of, uh, of associations and federations and and gets the conversation going about how the fan experience itself can be a little bit of a catalyst for, for when you grow a club. You know, we think of branding, we think of marketing, we think of uh, ticket initiatives and things like that, but... What we know is that if you can deliver a fantastic fan experience that makes supporters feel valued, then they're going to talk positively about you. They're going to keep coming back and they're going to bring their friends. And if you can really refine and improve that experience, then even when you're losing, you're going to get lots of people coming to games. Well, we probably should. Probably should. It just sort of link the two things we've been talking about up because I guess the, the this series of um, podcasts is actually going to cover the um, the touch points that we actually developed for the, for our trip to the World Cup. Yeah, it does make a lot of sense because oh. we, we we have um, a list of touch points, and by touch points we mean those parts along the experience. You, you all know if any any of you have listened to us for any any length of time, you'll know that we see the fan experiences much more than the ninety minutes on the game. It's everything from the research you do, the ticket purchase, the travel, et cetera, et cetera. So between us, we've we've refined a model, and that model has in it a number of touch points. And as Darren says, we're going to go through um, this season and have a podcast for each of those touch points so we can explore it. And we hope to bring some guests along too, don't we? 
Yeah, we've got some some interesting people lined up as long as they as long as they turn up. Um, yeah. But they, um, but yeah, we've got some people that really sort of, I guess, sit at the heart of some of the of the touch points we're going to be talking about. So we've got people who look who uh, heavily involved in the digital side, in in ticketing, um, in fan zones, uh, and hopefully as well as I say, if they all if they all turn up. Um, very specific things like like food and drink, um, you know, which I think is becoming increasingly important uh, inside and outside the stadium. Yeah, well, I think I think it's probably worthwhile. We'll just if we just we'll take you on a quick journey through them now and just explain what we're talking about. So over the over the coming podcasts in this third series, you can you're going to hear about that before game day, you know. So that's kind of from the fans' perspective, it's that planning bit, and then from that we go right through the whole gamut of ex- the experience from buying a ticket all of the digital communications the travel arrival outside of the venue things that that you know have become part of the tradition of going to a, a sports event like buying merchandise and enjoying refreshments and social opportunities we'll look at the actual period just before the game starts during the game and then of course afterwards when when you leave the venue and actually after the match in in areas such as feedback and 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 after match activities, which are becoming, um, should be well, what, what, more popular. Yeah, what's really interesting about that, Mark, as you were just saying it, is, is if you look at the whole um, experience, that actually the game part of it only starts about three quarters, well, more than three quarters of the way into it. Yeah, it's like our teams, they start playing about three yeah, quarters. Yeah, yeah. well, if, if, if you're lucky, in, in my case. But um, yeah, the, um, yeah, some of it, it is really interesting that so much happens before the game you know and, and and if you think of some of those assessments that we do not not so much some of the the, the ones that where where leagues have worked with us for a number of years because they're probably past that now but if you look at some of the clubs we do on newer programs where the game is everything and yet we've just described a situation where there are eight or nine really important touch points before the game's even kicked off yeah, I think you're right. And I think that they, they, they kind of evolve in importance as well, don't they? I mean, you and I have, have, have commented before on um before the pandemic, the, the concept of a fan zone, for example, was was, mm. was known. You know, we we've we found a lot when we were in Denmark and the Netherlands, um, you know, working with their division and the and the Superliga. And they are a concept that that fans are aware of and and, and many clubs in the UK had them. But I think in in the fans' eyes now, they've gone from something which is a nice to have to a. Would you agree a basic expectation? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think perhaps not straight after the pandemic, we didn't see quite as much because probably clubs were trying just to just to get the game on at that point and get fans back. But certainly last summer, I thought it was incredible how suddenly they were just springing up from nowhere, and and clubs who'd never had them before just suddenly started putting them putting them in place so um i think and it's it, it's a little bit of a, a self-fulfilling one as well because if if a club has a fan zone then by definition 23 other clubs are going to visit it that season and therefore there's at least 23 other sets of fans who are going to say why haven't we got a fan zone if they haven't so it starts to build its own momentum but there's def- there was definitely a lot of change in in the summer and over the season we've 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 seen lots of them cropping up everywhere yeah and an- another one is is refreshments and you know refreshments is a very you know it's a bit of a catch all phrase for you know what used to be a kiosk where you'd get something that looked grey and and you know 
slightly disturbing in the <laughs> 70s to, mm. you know, a whole array of, of, of options now. So, you know, we're looking at things like Footy Scran, at Footy Scran, you know, the, 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 the yeah. Twitter account that, that certainly to my eyes initially was there to highlight some horrible food choices that fans had bought. Yeah, which um, you know, the yeah. processed cheese on the oven chips, for example, <laughs> uh, and uh, as as posing as cheesy chips. But again, in, in these last two or three seasons, we've seen an explosion of of imaginative food offerings where clubs have decided. Uh, I, I can think of Whitstable Town, their football club down there. They have the most enormous burger you've ever seen. But you know, these days, they're in the past and still, obviously now there are ground hoppers. But I mm. think you know they're now becoming the give. Well, I went to the ground ground beef hoppers. As well, exactly. I went to a game the other day, um, and there was a fan. A fan I was going to say a fan zone, but they actually called it a fan village, and it had easily six different options for food, which included gourmet burgers. It included the most incredible sausages you could have imagined. It had Indian street food. And then there was also on top of that, there was a place that sold like proper proper coffee as well, proper like really speciality coffees. And I'm thinking, you know, that, that there was a time when football grounds had nothing like that. The bet, you know, coffee was was as basic as it got. Yeah. And, so and you certainly never you can get anything. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, we when we've done our work with um with families and those, you know, the Family Excellence Awards with the EFL is is into its, I think, seventeenth season um, this year. Um, but you know, you could, you might expect us to say, yeah, the, the traditional offer of the pie, the the pie and the sausage roll and the hot dog might might not be the healthiest. But I, I guess it's it's not that. It's kind of people want everything as much as possible. They want the widest possible choice. They want great quality. They they do want to have something in the stadium, but they also want to have something before they go and i think that's that's been really really noticeable in terms of of you know what clubs are now beginning to sell what fans are asking for i mean kids kids snack boxes are now becoming much more common than they ever were um, i think reading were the only club that ever did that sort of thing but now we're, we're seeing that in different um parts i've just been well that, that, that's been a real thing green rovers you know with their yeah yeah their well, well we were saying weren't we offline we were talking about this and, and and i think what's been absolutely fantastic about this season is that we've just seen so many examples where clubs have clearly you know partly hopefully taken our advice but also looked at the what fans actually want and and provided and i think you hit the nail on the head they provide a lot more choice yeah. so Suddenly now you haven't, you know, there used to be a sort of acceptance as a football fan, especially, I mean, you know, we obviously work in other sports as well, but an acceptance as a football fan that you turned up about 20 minutes before the game, there was, you know, a pie was about as good as it was going to get in terms of the, the choice was, do you have steak and kidney pie or meat and or beef and potato or beef and onion, for example, or meat and potato? That was choice a few years ago. And then the drinks were going to be, you know, a small selection of hot and cold drinks. Now clubs are just giving, not just in food and drink actually, but in so many ways, lots more options for fans. So suddenly now arriving two hours before is perfectly acceptable because there's going to be things there that you can do. And that not just have a, have a cup of coffee, not just have a selection of really good food, but also you can do things before the game. If you've got kids, you, you there's, there's activities that they can go and, and, and play on. So there's so many 
different things now that football fans have at their disposal. And I think that's the that that that's for me is the you know, if you look back at the, the 17 years, for example, of the AFL programme, the fact that that's happening now at nearly every club has to be the best thing that's ever happened from that programme. Well, before we kind of take this concept and, and tell you all a little bit more about how important the fan journey is and how important the touch points are, when you talked about kids and families just then, I remember on the uh, pilot for that particular scheme, I took my daughter to a game. It was a very cold um, evening and... Um, she said she wanted something warm. So I went down to the refreshments hut and said, um, have you got anything warm? They said, we've got some soup. And I said, oh, well, what flavour is it? You know, because she's quite picky. And the person said, I've no idea what flavour it is, but it's green. And, you know, <laughs> I, can, I still remember that story. You know, obviously, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm quite prepared to receive money from the club involved to, you know, to, <laughs> to not go any further and say which club that yeah, was. Yeah. But but you made that point before, the expectations have, have risen. And, you know, depending on the type of fan we're talking about, you've, you know, you've, you can break your fans down into the existing fans and those new fans that have started coming to games that you really want to keep. Um, it's not just food and it's not just the fan zone. It's across that, that whole experience where, you know, clubs have the opportunity at every particular point to, you know, really, really show that fan some value or, on the other hand, actually let them down. And that, of course, can have a big impact on their levels of uh, personal value they feel, how likely they are to recommend the club and, and fundamentally whether they're going to come back or not. Yeah. Well, I was having this conversation the other day um, with someone and, and it, it, it's this thing about, if you, you know, there was always that battle a few years back where if you did something that really suited a new fan, the, the, the core fan who'd been there for forever and a day would say, oh, you know, we don't want that sort of thing. But I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I actually think that's starting to change as well. I think, you know, if if you think about it, what, what's happening now is some of the older fans are bringing along, bringing kids through and, and other generations of their family. And they're starting to realise that people want different things. And, you know, you could, what you could probably get away with a few a few seasons ago, I don't think you can do anymore. You know, and I, I've been to lots of games where I've seen not not so much this season, but before this season where kids are like with adults, but they're standing there bored because they've got nothing to do. And I think... Not only are the clubs realizing that that's not that's not going to work long term, but actually the fan, the older fans are realizing it as well. You know, and I've heard so many good comments from fans who've said, "Oh, this fan sounds brilliant. I can't believe we didn't have one before because it gives us, you know, it's it's so much more entertaining, and the kids have got so much more to do, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Yeah, and it's funny because rugby as a sport has has obviously been doing the concept of fan zones or, or something mm. that resembles that. You know, for many years it's been it's been part of that rugby match experience for. For many years, and obviously we're very proud to be to be working in, in in rugby at the moment. But you make a really good point, and I think it's also worth saying that you know some of the touch points by themselves in themselves don't sound that sexy. You know, they don't they don't sound like you know that they alone could provide a level of value that'll have that fan, you know, thinking I'm never going to miss again. Look, you know, ticket purchase, for example. But what we've seen, what clubs have been able to do with ticket purchase is if you take you take a kid going to their first game and their their mum and dad are taking them along to the first game, the seven or eight year old. Um what you know, when we went, and I speak for myself, my first game was in in the late sixties and, you know, I didn't get a ticket. You just paid a few pence to get through the turnstile and that was it. But, you know, these days you've got clubs offering first time fan certificates. So the parents can arrange for the kid 
to get a kind of a certificate, you know, a, a mocked up ticket of their first game. So they'll always remember that. And some clubs, and I can think of uh, Middlesbrough and Luton Town as, as two examples, have actually developed that into an experience, you know, where the family or the group of fans or the children arrive early, they're met by someone, they get a tour of the stadium, they'll get a goodie right. bag of some description. It's um, absolutely incredible how things have changed, hasn't it? I mean, I, well, I was talking to a good, uh, you know, friend of ours, uh, Anthony, at um, at Stoke City, and, and he said something that I thought was really, really profound, and the way he put it, very succinct, but it was you know, that um, everybody only has one first-time game, you know? You only go to your first match once. Although, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I love that comment, although I would I would challenge it slightly in that I used to get lifted over the turnstiles when I first started going to games. So I had my first game and then my first official game when I was probably probably about five years later. So, how so did you had your first game in stages. The first game I actually yeah. paid money was, was a lot later. So a period. So there's probably five times you managed to get into the ground without paying where you were removed before you reached various touch points. Is that what happened? So, you know, on your third visit, you got as far as the tea hut. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was. Yeah, it was a phased experience, but uh, you know, yeah. it was, but it's, it, no, it's really it's seriously. It's really it's a really good point. Yeah. And also, and of course, boys and girls, we shouldn't try to get into stadiums without paying. Can I just? We're just. We're not. Yes, uh, we're not. We're not advocating that. Watching your first no. game, but, um, but yeah. But, but so, I mean, I think, really... you know, the point I was making there was that the there are touch points which in themselves seem fairly, you know. Well, um, I wanted to just bring boring, up, yeah, because because. I was just looking at the list as you said that, and I was thinking, which is the most boring sounding one? And 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 I couldn't help but fall on travel. Um, not necessarily because, you know, for any other reason, that it's like, it's just one of those things that has to happen, isn't it? You know, it hasn't got any, you know, you're not at the ground. You're not sitting at home, having a cup of tea, going through the website. You're actually, it's just part of the a thing that, you know, means to an end to get there. But when you look at, you know, we've had conversations before where people have said, are some are some touch points more important than others? And travel always gets sort of looked at as perhaps one that's a little less important. And when you look at the work we've done over the last few years, how important that's become in terms of being able to find the stadium for new fans, especially being able to park easily, being able to know where the parking is in the first place before you before you even start the journey. So even something that sounds as unsexy as tra- as transport or travel or heading to the game, as we call it on this on this particular series, still has m- massive implications on the, on the fan experience. I think yeah, I think you're dead right. I think there are there is there are football clubs and rugby clubs um, around the country who also really understand that travel for a family attending their first game is a, is probably the most important one, you know, especially for the parents, because, you know, the journey can be stressful. You know you're going to a stadium. You know, you could be going to a club that there's 25,000 people going to turn up to that game, and, you know, you, you know that you're not going to park at the stadium. So when you've got a club that makes it really easy, and I, I would, you know, at this point mention the um the concentric circles on Nottingham Forest's travel mm. guide that yeah. we spotted um recently that actually had not just the official car parks, anyone who's been to the city ground knows that it's not possible to park close to the ground, but they had all of the alternatives there and even had the walking distance from each one. So if you're a family, you're actually thinking, that's perfect for us. You know, I'm taking a seven year old or a six year old, they're not going to walk too far. That's where I'm going to go. And I, I think was thinking- 
Yeah, well, just give you a postcode and a map, you know. Yeah, well, out, uh, that 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 particular fan type is is they're not going to say this isn't good enough. I'm not going to go to the game, but there's there's a risk of that stress just oh, arriving well, at a time when the family don't need it. that, but I'm not sure that's hundred percent right. Because what I, I was thinking this the other day when I was doing some of our reports, and actually, if you might at some point say, you know, I'm not going to go because the if he, I, I was thinking this as I was as I was looking at uh, one of the reports the other day that actually one of the jobs that a club has is to make it so easy that it removes all the barriers that, are, that could be there from a new fan attending. Now, if you look look back to when we were when we were young and um, you, we used to go to games, uh, yeah. pay, paid or not. Um, what was the other option on a you know on a Saturday afternoon? Because for me, I think it was it was nothing. You know, it was like yeah, yeah. It was stand around the town with friends, maybe, or go to the football game. Now, if you imagine the options that are available to individuals or families at the moment, there's so much more they could do. Yeah, a Saturday or a, you know even an evening, but certainly on a Saturday afternoon. And if you if if there's an obstacle that that makes it easy for someone to say, I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to go to that football game. Then they may take it these days in the way that they probably wouldn't have done in the past. So even though I, we, we say it might not stop them going, I think it gives them a decision to make. Yeah. And if you think, oh, I don't know where to park, I don't know if, if it's going to be a long way, I don't know if I don't know how much it's going to cost, I don't know what the ticket's going to cost, I don't know if, if you'll be able to get vegan food when we get there. All those questions suddenly start to create doubt that might make you say, you know what, I'll go to somewhere where I do know the answers to those questions. So hopefully, if you've if you've listened so far and you've stayed with us, expecting to hear more Bonnie Tyler puns, or in fact any Bonnie Tyler pun would have been good. You hopefully see where what, where we're coming from here. And obviously, we've done this now for for eighteen years. We work in a number of different sports in the UK, in Europe, and across the world. I think if we calculate it, that we're up to something like three thousand six hundred individual fan experience assessments at the moment so while we don't like to blow our own trumpet we do feel we do know a little bit about this subject so you'll we hope you'll stay with us um over this season as we explore these touch points individually i mean i think we've not even talked about people you know we've not talked about first-time fan guides which didn't exist when we started working in in 2005 in this area but now i think just about every club that we see has one you know, no one ever asked a fan for feedback when we started working in in uh, in sport uh, 18 years ago. And now it's much more prevalent than it was. And of course, that's helping clubs to refine the experience across the different touch points. So it should be an interesting journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm really looking forward to, to the whole series, to be honest, because I think it's a real opportunity for us to take a step back as well and say, if you put the whole, if you lay the whole journey out, what it, what is it really like? And, and I think we'll be able to give a huge amount of examples of really good practice that yeah. we see against the, you know, at, at each of these touch points. But also, I think one of the other things we're we're really we're really good at, at being able to say is don't do this, you know. So yeah. we've seen plenty of things that you know we we can we can warn clubs off. Um, doing um, you know that that could cause problems at these particular touch points so i think you know from, from whether it's good or bad there's there's going to be lots for people to um to, to to get into on this on this whole series 
Well, so thanks, Darren. Thanks for your time um, today. Uh, thank you from me. And for those of you who are interested, um, you can find our previous two seasons by looking for the Fan Experience Experience on all of your favourite uh, podcast uh, places. And uh, you can follow us, um, the Fan Experience Company, at, at Fan Experience Co. on Twitter. You'll also find us at www.fanexperienceco.com. And um, we'd love to hear from you with uh, any great examples of fantastic experiences you've had or any, any observations, in fact, on that whole fan journey and how different sports and different clubs are managing the touch points. We're holding out for a hero. Oh, very good. Thank you very much. We left it to the very end. Couldn't, couldn't, let, it, couldn't let it go before without at least We, we couldn't, could we? I think that's, no, really no. Good this. that's like a 94th minute equaliser there from uh, Mr. Darren Young. It always feels like a victory when you do that as well. So. It does. Nothing Nothing feels better than a nil-nil victory, actually. Uh, there you go. And uh, we, we'll, we'll have more adventures of the fan experience and also our individual football clubs when you next join us. So thanks for joining us today and we'll see you again next time. Next time.